Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. With pep in their step, our young heroes were led to the hall in the center of town. Despite sunny weather, the wind blew as ever. Every shutter remained battened down. You're listening to Aliads and the Aliad Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 2 The Brothers Three. Melka stopped before one of the two statues that framed the pathway, running through the courtyard outside the hall. The hall was more serious and imposing without the flickering lanterns and glowing stained glass that Trenia and I had seen the night before. In broad daylight, the dark slate building towered over the rest of the city, a brooding gray behemoth that stood in stark contrast to the blue sky above. Melka turned to the more feminine statue of the two and dipped a wrinkled brown finger in the water cupped in the statue's outstretched hands. They brought the drips to their forehead and let them trickle down their brow. Should we do that too? I asked. Melka paused for a moment, considering. Do you know who this woman is? Trenia and I both shook our heads. She is Zendari, the mother of the three. The original three? Yes. And this fellow over here? Melka gestured to the male statue opposite Zendari. Is Kizan, their father. Well, their supposed father. There's some debate about that. But Kizan raised him as his own. And anyways, it's not the point. The point is to receive their blessing is to receive the love that bore the three and delivered them onto Kel. It is a practice of reverence deeply bound to the people of these lands. Melka turned to me and Trenia and shrugged. So sure, why not? At the very least, it'll help you fit in. Trenia and I took turns dipping our fingers in the water and pressing the drips to our brows, trying our best to follow Melka's example. Then, Melka led us up the ramp to the wooden double doors, which were open and unguarded and we passed beneath the flapping purple banners and into the stony hall. Melka led us into a wide antechamber that had a hallway stretching out to either side and an open doorway straight ahead, which led into a massive hall beyond. Melka turned to walk down the left side hallway, and Trenia and I obediently followed. I peered inside the great hall as we passed the open door and saw three great chairs on a raised platform, in which sat three finely dressed people, one of whom I recognized as the tall, large Dracalic brother, before the three chairs and their brooding occupants stood a line of citizens, who I guessed had various concerns that they wished to bring before the council. I was able to hear, Every single spoon, Master Pogren, every single one, who would do such a thing? Before Trenia and I stepped beyond earshot. Melka turned a corner, shuffled up a wooden staircase, and passed several doors on the second floor before stopping outside of one and knocking. I heard footsteps from within, and in a few seconds, the door swung open to another familiar face. The smallest Dorcalic brother, whose face lit up with a smile. Melka, it's so good to see you. Ah, Delarin, my dear boy! Delarin swung out his lanky arms to share a hug, then ushered Melka into the room. He saw me and Trenia behind them, and extended the greeting to us. Welcome, welcome, friends. Come in, come in. Delarin stepped away from the door to make room. He moved in an uneven, stiff sort of way, similar to how people walk after a long day of horse riding. His gait heavily favored his right leg, and the corner of his mouth twitched as he smiled. I returned his smile and stepped into the room. It was adorned with several comfortable-looking red velvet chairs and sofas, finely carved tables, 
bookshelves filled with colorfully bound tomes, and a polished writing desk, complete with ink and quill. Sitting in one of the chairs was a woman dressed in a fine blue tunic, dyed wool pants, and gleaming leather boots, her hair black as coal. She sipped from a gold-rimmed teacup and eyed us curiously. Splayed across one of the sofas was Russ, the juggling lad, who hastily righted himself upon the cushions and smoothed out his hair in robes. Melka bowed their head to the seated woman, who returned the gesture. Good Melka, a pleasure as always. And you, my lady? Trenia and I stood in the doorway as Melka provided the introductions. They gestured to Delarin, who had opened the door. This is Delarin Dorcalic, youngest of the Dorcalic boys, a storyteller like yourself, and among the most charming lads you'll ever meet. Delarin blushed at Melka's words and stared at the floor. Melka then gestured to the juggler. This is Russ Dorcalic, the middle of the Dorcalic boys, and freshly returned from the Arcanium College, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed I am, Melka. Just got in yesterday. I hope you're proud. Russ held out the hem of his yellow robes, awaiting Melka's approval. Yellow? Ooh, look at you. Come on, give us a spin. Russ, whose cheeks now also blushed, rose from the sofa and gave an awkward twirl to show off his robes. That's fantastic, Russ. I only graduated with orange robes myself, but hey, things have worked out pretty well all the same. Congratulations. Thanks. Melka turned their attention to the woman drinking tea and said, And here is the proud mother of all three boys, Wayla Dorcalic. The woman gave us a polite nod. I'm assuming your husband and eldest son are in council for the morning. Indeed, it's public commentary this morning, so there's no saying when they'll return. Ah, no matter. We'll meet them soon enough. I've brought with me Aliads of Fribbleshire and Trenia Oz Pallon, two travelers I sniffed out at the Bleary Badger last night. Hi. It's nice to meet you. I waved at the Dorcalics, and they all smiled back. Now I'll spare you the details, but I have brought them here because their investigating situation I thought you boys would find very intriguing. They believe they know the whereabouts of a certain Joe and Graham, who the people of Cawthorne know as Fanny and Tom. Do you really? Melka turned to me and raised an eyebrow. We do, I said. They have a hideout northwest of here. We've been tracking them for weeks, and we know that they've passed through in the last few days. Here I turned to address Russ specifically. They kidnapped someone very important to me, and I'd like to ask for your help getting him back. Oh no, they kidnapped one of your friends? Yes. I mean, he's a goat, and his name is Granbauer, but he's like, he's a really special goat. Russ smiled and looked over to Delarin. Did you hear that, Del? Yes, I did. A goat. <laughs> How perfect! The brothers burst out in laughter, and I felt my cheeks grow hot with embarrassment. Trenia tensed beside me, her posture straightening into don't-mess-with-us warrior mode. I put a hand on her wrist to calm her. Hey, we didn't come here to be laughed at, I said. We came here to save my friend. If you're not interested, that's fine. We'll just leave. Delarin immediately stepped forward, waving his hands. No, no, we're not making fun of you. It actually is perfect. I furrowed my eyebrows and waited for them to explain. We were just talking about what story Dell should tell at the Brightening Festival in Allsforth before you came in. I'm entering the competition this year, and I want you to debut something original. But most of my pieces are rather philosophical and introspective. You mean melancholic. There's nothing wrong with a little melancholy. Although the festival winners are chosen by popular vote which tends to lean 
towards tales of a comical nature. A story about tracking down Fanny and Tom to save a goat would be a shoo-in for top three. That is, he said, turning to me. If you're serious about this. If I'm serious? I'm dead serious. In fact, I was already almost dead because of Joe and Graham serious. Trenia and I are going to that hideout, and we're getting Grand Bauer back, whether you come or not. Russ and Delarin stared up at Melka in amazement. I knew you'd like her. Delarin took a seat beside his brother on the sofa, and Trenia, Melka, and I sat down on the seats opposite them. Wayla rustled up more cups and served everyone tea, while I spoke more of my encounters with Joe and Graham, making sure to give precise details about the magical markings I'd seen on the wall in their lair outside Beleth. Russ rested his chin upon steepled fingers and closed his eyes when I described them, listening and thinking intently. When I finished, he opened his eyes and said, quite casually, It sounds like a standard fire glyph with a bound contact trigger. A what? A spell set into a rune designed to light a target on fire when the target comes in contact with a specific object. The rune itself sounds fairly straightforward, but the bound contact trigger? Now that's really something. Trinia and I shared a look of amazement. So you know what this magic is, then? Sure. I was trained as an elementalist. This is right up my alley. Do you know how to get rid of it? Or how to block it or something? Potentially. I mean, it really depends on the spell. I won't know until I see it, but there's definitely a chance. I looked over to Trenia. Some chance is better than no chance, right? She nodded and said, From what we've seen of Joe and Graham thus far, we have every reason to believe there will be more traps like this. The training I received from my... from my former tribe is no use against this type of magic. That's why we need your help. Hmm, I see. We can offer you part of the reward that we'll get from capturing them, which, depending on where we turn them in, could be 500 silver or more. Russ shook his hands in protest. Money won't be necessary. Catching Fanny and Tom, Joe and Graham, would do more for us than coin ever could. I looked around the gilded, velvet-clad room. Indeed, money did not seem to be a problem for the Dracalic boys. But the skeptic in me had to ask. Why wouldn't you want a cut of the reward? Gold is but one reward that awaits the adventurous spirit. Yes, but for you humans, it often seems to be the main one. Then I suspect you need to meet more humans, Trinia eyes for one. You discredit us. Normally, Trinia would have bristled at such an accusation. But Delarin's words cooled her sardonic heat, and she grew bashful in the wake of his gentle challenge. She sank back into the sofa and sipped her tea without looking up. I asked Delarin, so then what are you after? Delarin turned to Russ and smiled. Russ returned the smile, his eyes sparkling with joy, and nodded. Follow us. Russ and Delarin led me and Trenia out of the room, back down the hallway and staircase, and into the vast meeting hall in the center of the building. Russ silently guided us along the back wall, where we were able to stand away from the gathered crowd and take in the room. The numerous stained glass windows we'd seen from outside shone brightly in the morning light adding color and cheeriness to what would have certainly been a dark, brooding space without them. Against the back wall of the enormous chamber, perched upon an elevated platform, were three elaborate wooden thrones, above which hung a gigantic purple banner bearing the three golden stars so ubiquitous in Cothram. Seated upon two of the thrones were men I immediately recognized from the town square, who Russ confirmed to be his father, Rollin, and his brother, Pogrin. Seated in the third throne was a very small, very stout, very short person, with bronze skin, short cropped hair, and a stubbled chin. I leaned over to Russ and whispered, Is 
Is that a dwarf? Aye, that's Sil Hawken. Her family's from Oxagu originally, but she was born and raised here. She's held the water seat for the last twenty years. I nodded knowingly, as if I understood everything he said, which I certainly didn't. Before the three great seats stood a crowd of a few dozen townsfolk waiting for their turn to be heard before the council, some of whom wore fine city cloth, and some of whom wore the more weathered garments of country life. Presently before the council there stood an old woman with a faded macrame shawl and a silk scarf that covered her head. You see, masters, it weren't no ordinary teapot. It were me mother's pot, and her mother's before her, all the way from Brill. It was the only thing left of me family. Pure silver it was, with gold around the handle, only brought it out on the most special of occasions, for the rarest of guests. Kept it in a special hutch and kept it locked. Only one person alive even knew I had it, once my dear Yarrow passed on. So who's to explain it to me that some low-life ruffians such as Fanny and Tom bungled their way into stealing it? The dwarven woman raised her hands to soothe the old woman and began to say, Now, Ildre, before you go making any accusations, remember that the Triumvirate is launching a full investigation into these thefts, and- It was Belpha! Belpha stole it! The old woman pointed a quaking finger at another, equally old woman who stood on the other side of the room, and the room buzzed with incredulous whispers. Silence! Pogrindor Kallik's booming voice stilled the murmurs, and all eyes in the room fell on him. Have you any proof to justify such an accusation? Oh, I do, Master Pogrin. I do. The old woman reached into a pocket and pulled out a single piece of long silver hair, which she shook in the direction of an aggrieved Belpha. Aha! A single strand of hair? asked the Dorcalic's father, Rollin. Aye, I found it inside the hutch where I kept the teapot. The dwarf, Silhawken, did her best to hide an exasperated sigh. Evidently, it had been a long morning. Is it not possible that such a hair belongs to you? It could have been. Here the old woman paused and reached up to grab her headscarf. And I hadn't shaved it all off last week! (laughs) The old woman ripped off her scarf and revealed a gleaming bald scalp. More gasps erupted from the crowd, and the whispering resumed. I tell ya, check her house, you'll find my teapot! At this point, the woman named Belpha said, Oh, shut your gob, you manky old crone. Which spurred Ildry to shuffle towards her in a vengeful rage and swing a liver-spotted fist. Several guards stepped forward to de-escalate this bat, and the room descended into a distracted hubbub for the next several minutes. Dalaran leaned over to me and Trenia. It's not always this entertaining. Right. So, uh, what did you want to show us? Russ pointed to the three thrones upon the platform. Every city in Kel is led by three masters, the Master of Stone, the Master of Water, and the Master of Flame, who are together called the Triumvirate. That's my father there in the stone seat. I noticed Russ's expression was cold and emotionless as he pointed to his father in the right-hand throne. And in the middle there is Pog, my older brother. Master Pogrin, Russ. I'm not calling him that. It's only polite. You won't want him calling you Rustifer in front of everyone when you're Master of Stone. Russ's cheeks blushed. Rustifer, is it? (laughs) He blushed even redder. Nice. Oh, very nice. He waved his hand as if to bat the name out of the air. No one calls me that. 
Father does his angry. You should hear him. <laughs> Delarin laughed at his imitation of their father, but Russ did not join him. A new townsperson had stepped forward to air their grievances, this time about an attack on his cattle in the southern fold. Russ stared at his father sitting upon the lofty seat of stone listening to the farmer's plight and narrowed his eyes. His jaw clenched briefly. Then he took a deep breath and returned his attention to me and Trenia. Anyways, Pog is the Master of Flame here in Cothram, and the plan is that I'll be selected as the new Master of Stone this year. Suddenly, Russ's pained expression towards his father made a lot more sense. You... you have to take your father's place? Oh, don't worry. It's all a part of the plan. Father wants him to take the seat more than anyone. I was about to ask why, and then I remembered... the prophecy, right? Exactly. And for it to come true, Russ needs to be selected as Cothram's Master of Stone. Anyways, back to the point. All the cities of Kel are led by the Grand Triumvirate, three Archmasters who rule from the peak of Tirgalan, where they sit beneath the leaves of Alaron upon the high seats carved by the three themselves. The hearts of the three beasts slain by the Akazov brothers are embedded in those thrones, and if the right people sit upon them, they'll be able to summon forth ancient magic powerful enough to shape the world. Power that could ease the burdens of people have been killing the last several years. Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Power that could what? It's okay. I said power that could ease the burdens of people have been carrying the last several years. And you think that you and your brothers are the right people? Well, yeah, I mean, come on, Trenia, that's what the prophecy says. <laughs> Why did she have to keep contradicting him? You take no stock in prophecies, Trenia asked one. I would have thought that one raised in the mystic ways of the elves would have reverence for such things. Again, Trenia grew bashful at Delarin's curiosity. The difference between story and prophecy is thinner than the veil between night and dawn. Ah, so it is true what they say of the elves. What's that? That they are born with poems on their tongues. Trenia furrowed her brow, shook her head, and looked away. Her own special way of accepting a compliment. I redirected Russ and Delarin's attention to the three thrones. So, if Pogrin is Master of Flame, and Russ is trying to be Master of Stone, does that mean you're trying to be Master of Water, Delarin? Indeed, but not necessarily of Cothram. All the seats are selected in a different way as decreed by the Akazal brothers at the founding of Kel. A small trickle of drool began to drip down Delarin's chin as he talked, but it didn't seem to bother him in the least. He pulled a handkerchief from his breast pocket, dabbed the spittle, and continued on. The Master of Stone is elected every three years. There's a whole trial in the vote, and it's a lot to explain, but it's a steady and reliable process. The Master of Stone concentrates on the logistical functioning of each city, the order and efficiency of its systems and needs. That's Dad's job right now, but Russ should do just fine. The Master of Flame is earned through trial by combat, which can be challenged at any time, and which is how Pogrin came to be in his seat. They use Bunsen seal these days, but it's still a bit barbaric, if you ask me. Pog, oh, excuse me, Pogrin is responsible for the defense of Cotham, just as the Archmaster of Flame is responsible for the defense of Greater Kell. Now, the Archmaster of Flame and the Archmaster of Stone 
must be drawn from masters already serving a city. But the master and archmaster of water can be anyone. And the seat can be assumed at any time. Anyone? They have to be nominated and voted in by popular vote. But yes, anyone. The master of water is supposed to carry the voice of the people like leaves upon a river. It's their job to guide them through whatever currents lie ahead. And just as water ebbs and flows, so do the stories of a people, which in turn calls forth a different voice to carry them. Wow, that's lovely. Even Trenia was moved. You seem a natural fit. Thank you, Trenia Aspalon. Delarin smiled his bright beaming smile the corners of his mouth and eyes spasming ever so slightly with the effort. I do believe that my brothers and I can bring relief to the people of Kel, just as the Akazar brothers did long ago. I feel it in my bones, and I know it in my heart. It will take time to fulfill, but we have been called to serve a higher purpose for the betterment of all, and we are both honored and honor-bound to heed that call. Huh. Right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um uh okay, but yeah, but but what how does how does helping me find a goat fit into all that? Um here, Russ stepped in. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. We already need to head north this week to reach the Brightening Festival in Osforth, which, if you're correct, Ali, is the same direction as Fanny and Tom's hideout. Golly, I sure hoped I was. It wouldn't be a big detour for us, especially if we left a day early. Catching Fanny and Tom, uh, Joan Graham, will look really good for Pog when he challenges Helda for the High Seat of Flame. She hasn't been able to capture them in all her time upon the throne, so that would be a big win for him. The story of it all will be an absolute gem for Delarin, since he's entering the Lorist Guild's competition this year. The way to the High Seat of Water is through people's hearts, which is reached through their ears. And for me, it doesn't help quite as much because I still have to enter the trials for Cawthorne's seat first, but I'd be sure to win some recognition as the college-trained architect of Fanny and Tom's downfall. Well, that all sounds very nice. Wait, hold on. I, I'm the architect of their downfall. In his manic excitement, Russ didn't hear me. He turned to Delarin and said, Of course, that would mean we'd need to leave a day early to give extra time. So, tomorrow? Whoa, whoa, wait a second, guys. Yeah, I mean... I've hardly been here long enough to unpack, so I could be ready. Easily. What about you? I suppose I could be ready to leave on tomorrow, but I suspect Mother won't like it. Hey, guys, whoa, hold up! <laughs> She's got to let go of you at some point. Do you have enough herbs for the trip? Yes, I'm already stocked. Ah, excellent, excellent! Russ, hey, whoa, what do you mean, leave tomorrow? Russ clapped his hands together and bounced excitedly on his toes. Oh, I can't believe it, Del. It's all so perfect. Just wait till we tell Pog. Oh, good. It looks like they're breaking for lunch now. We can run it by him. Wait, guys. Hold on. I think I think we may have jumped ahead a bit. Russ and Delarin didn't hear me. The triumvirate was indeed breaking for lunch, and loud conversations flooded the Great Hall. I stood there blinking for a moment, confused by how quickly it seemed like the situation was changing. Russ and his brothers wanted to be the ones taking down Joe and Graham? Uh, no... That was my thing. They would be helping me, not the other way around. That's the story we'd been talking about. That's what Melka had brought us here for. The two brothers walked towards the thrones, and I rushed to keep close beside them. 
When he saw his brothers approaching, Pogren broke free from the townsfolk surrounding him and bounded forward to embrace his brothers. He threw his arms around Russ and Dellerin's shoulders and shook them playfully side to side, saying, Oh, you lucky dogs, getting to sit upstairs and drink tea and eat biscuits all morning with Mum. I swear, if I had to hear Harry Walton talk about missing teaspoons for another second, my head would have popped off. Pogren let go of his brothers and noticed me and Trinia standing behind them. He asked Dellerin, Are these friends of yours? Yes, we're just an acquaintance. This is Trinia Eisperland, and this is Ali Odds of Fibbleshire. He reached out to shake my hand and said, Nice to meet you. In the formal, non-invested way of someone whose position in the world obliges them to say it all the time. But when he reached his hand out to Trenia, his eyes scanned her whole figure, then lingered on her face, and his faint smile indicated that he was pleased by what he saw. Lovely to meet you. Trenia pulled her hand away and said nothing. Eh, he'd figure things out in his own time. So, Pogren, I began, hoping to get in a word before Russ and Dellerin could swoop in to explain things. Sorry, Master Pogren, uh, Melka the Loris brought us here to meet with you and your brothers, because they think you can help me with something very important. Pogren crossed his arms over his chest and raised an eyebrow. Oh? She knows where Fanny and Tom are, and she wants to lead us to them! No, I said, annoyed by Russ's interruption. Well, yes, but, but no, I'm not just going to lead you to them and let you take all the credit. I've been following them for more than a month, and I just need a little bit of help capturing them and saving my friend Granbauer. Pogren looked at Dillerin. She's serious? Serious as the grave. Dillerin's words melted the doubt from Pogren's face. Huh. Well, all right then. Wait, that's it? I had gotten myself all worked up with the idea that convincing him would be difficult, but he seemed pretty nonplussed by the suggestion. An important-looking person waved in Pogren's direction from the entryway, and Pog waved back that he was coming. Well, I need to have some lunch, and we've still got the afternoon session, and then I have lots to put in order before our trip, but I'd be happy to hear all about it tonight. Uh, it was nice to meet you two. Pogren bowed to take his exit, but Dellerin called him back. It can't wait until tonight, Pog. We need to leave tomorrow morning in order to make it to Oxford on time. And if we are to leave tomorrow morning... We need to prepare tonight. Pog put his hands on his hips, sighed, and kicked the ground with the toe of his boot. He looked at Russ. You think it's a good idea, Russ? I do. Okay, I'm in. See you later. And then he walked away and out of the hall. Huh! Just when I thought I was getting good at reading people. Roland or Kallik approached us. His face was as stern and severe as it had been the night before at the town square. Russ and Dellerin pulled back their shoulders and lifted their chins at his approach, matching Rollins' rigid posture. They both bowed their heads and said, Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. Rollins shot a quick glance at Trenia and myself, and apparently, finding us less than noteworthy, returned his attention to his sons. Did I overhear that you are planning to head to Allsforth early? Yes, Father. Not for a paltry distraction, I hope. No, Father. It's all in the service of our aim. Good. I would be rather disappointed to discover my college-trained son was utilizing his expensive education for more trifling entertainments. Russ's head drooped, and he stared at the floor. It was not trifling entertainment, Father. Russ's actions last night proved themselves to Catherine. 
He showed them he truly can wield magic, and it gave them hope, which is of unaccountable worth in times such as these. Ah, my dearest boy, Rollins said, lifting a hand to cup Dellerin's cheek. I swear, you could convince the sun herself she shines at night. Rollin lowered his hand and turned towards Russ. Do not lose focus, Rustifer. I am proud to see you in yellow robes. Rollin turned his gaze to me and Trenia. Do not let them go to waste. Rollin gave Russ one last onerous stare and departed. I don't think any of us breathed until he was out of the room. Oof, glad he wasn't my dad. I whispered to Dellerin. Your dad's not coming on this trip, is he? No, which I think will be for the best. I'll say, said Trinia. I turned to Russ, whose eyes were once more fixed on the ground. His shoulders were slumped as if carrying a heavy pack, and the light I'd seen in his eyes when he'd spoken excitedly about runes and glyphs was extinguished. So we're leaving tomorrow? Yes, we'll have to, to keep to the rest of our schedule. Okay, um, well, we can make that work, can't we, Trinia? I'm ready right now. And we're clear that it's you guys helping me, right? Not the other way around. Yeah, sure. Sure. Whatever. Russ looked up from the floor and rubbed his face in his hands. I'm gonna go find something to eat. See you guys later. Russ headed out the door and into the halls beyond, leaving Trenia and I alone in the vast meeting chamber with Dellerin, who didn't seem surprised by a single thing that had happened. Ah, the age-old battle between fathers and sons. He said, staring at a stained glass panel that depicted three men I assumed were the Akazov brothers. It seems that no matter how many ages go by, some stories always remain the same. Dellerin's eyes gleamed with the countless colors cast by the windows, and I noticed that the confident, easy smile on his lips perfectly matched the expression of the three brothers looking down on us from above. Now, shall we to lunch? Thanks for listening to Aliods and the Aliod Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and I am delighted to be joined in this project by several wonderful new cast members. Let's hear it for Asia McDermott as Melka, Lydia Randall as Wayla Dorkalik, Sawyer Elms as Pogren, Harper Stone as Russ, and Richard Wilson as Dellerin. It is a treat and a treasure to have these wonderful people involved in the show, and I can't wait for you to hear more of them. To my dear patrons on Patreon, it is through your generosity and support that I have been able to bring these artists into this series. Your monthly donations do truly go right back into making this show brighter and better for everyone. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart for your patronage. And what's that? Do I hear glimmering hooves galloping over a dew-covered meadow? Ah, yes, it's our rainbow unicorns, Dr. Sunshine and Gladys Selsar, two patrons of legendary generosity. Thank you both for adding your fuel to my fires. If you'd like to join the Aliod squad and support the creation of more episodes, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Aliods, or visit my website, aliods.com, to make a one-time donation. Thanks again for listening, and I'll hope to see you around the fire for Chapter 3, The Rocky Road to Allsforth. <laughs>